Hi everyone, I'm Dr. John Martini, and you're listening to Escape the Rat Race Radio. Welcome to episode 15 of Escape the Rat Race Radio. I'm your host, Christian Rodwell, and this is your ticket to escape the nine to five. Finding out what you value most is one of the key elements of great achievement. Because when you do, you're in the flow. You're automatically love getting up in the morning and doing that. And unless you get really clear about what you're going to do that's an alternative, that's going to produce a reasonable income that exceeds the current income at the job that you have, you're not going to move. And if your highest value is security, you're probably not going to go out and be an entrepreneur and take a risk. When you live congruently with your highest values, your voice and vision on the inside becomes louder and more profound than people's opinions on the outside. Greetings, go-getters. This week, I have a very, very special episode for you. If you've ever struggled to find your life purpose or figure out what you want to do in this world to live an inspired and fulfilling life, then you're just a few minutes away from finding those answers. If you've ever watched The Secret, then you know our next guest. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. John DiMartini, a leading authority on human behavior and personal development and the author of over 40 books. Dr. DiMartini is considered one of the world's leading authorities on human behavior and personal development, and he's the founder of the DiMartini Institute, a private research and education organization with a curriculum of over 72 different courses covering multiple aspects of human development. His trademark methodologies, which are the DiMartini Method and the DiMartini Value Determination, are the culmination of 42 years of cross-disciplinary research and study. And his work has been incorporated into human development industries across the world. Now, in today's interview, we'll be discussing his methodologies for discovering who you really are and what makes you tick, what your true purpose is, and the one that will bring you the greatest happiness and success and that's in a perfect alignment with your values. I absolutely loved, loved speaking with Dr. DiMartini, and I really hope that you will get as much insight and value into yourself and some really actionable exercises and steps which you can follow to unlock your real true values and start changing your life in a very positive way. So here's part one of our two-part interview with Dr. John DiMartini. Dr. DiMartini, thank you so much for joining us today on Escape the Rat Race Radio. Thank you so much. Thank you. Where in the world are you today? I'm in New York City. Oh, great. So are you speaking there? Are you traveling around at the moment? Yes, I'm doing interviews today. I did presentations last night. I have presentations each day and interviews each day. And then I'll be heading off to another city. And you're a busy gentleman because I know that I had the pleasure of hearing your presentation in London last month at the JCI event. And I must give a shout out to David Gulakian, who organized that evening. It was very inspiring. And I thought it would be such a great opportunity to invite you onto the radio show and share some of your 44 years experience of studying human behavior, if I'm correct, and a number of best-selling books along that time as well. And of course, your methodologies, which are the DiMartini method and the value determination process, which you must have helped many, many thousands of people with now. Yes, I have been blessed by that. I have been uh, involved in education for, this is going on my 45th year, so I've, I've been blessed to uh, get to share with quite a number of people around the world. Fascinated to find out really where your curiosity with this subject originated from. Well, I had learning problems as a child, and I ended up dropping out of school, and I was a street kid. 
and I nearly died when I was 17. In a recovery process from that, I was led to a class by an elderly gentleman who inspired me one night in one hour with one message. This one man awakened inside me a yearning to want to overcome my learning problems. And so I, that night, had a dream to somehow learn how to read because I didn't read till I was 18. I had a desire to read and overcome my learning problems and learn and then share what I learned with people. And I started teaching at age 18. I'm 62 now, going on 63. And I um, never stopped. And it started out in a small environment where one, one student and it kept growing until we have now millions of students. So I've been blessed. Very grateful for the opportunity to continue to travel the world, research and, and teach. And I remember you sharing when you were in London that you may have published nine books. You've probably written a fair number more than that and certainly read a lot, lot more than that. Yes, I, I've uh, been blessed to read over 30,000 books and, and write probably between three and 400 books now. That's incredible. And is there a process that you use to, to read those books, such as speed reading? Yeah, I developed my own methodologies over time, slowly but surely. You know, there was times when I used to read. Now my schedule is quite intense speaking, but I used to read literally 18 to 20 hours a day. I read a lot of books doing that. I just, I, I lived to learn and I, I love to share. So I, I learn it and then I share it. So that's mm -hmm. what I continue to do today. Although my teaching and interviewing, I do between 300 and 350 speeches a year and about a thousand interviews a year. So I, I have a lot more teaching than I do research, but I still research and I have a team of researchers that help me. So I've got many people around the world helping me in different fields. So is it fair to say, Dr. Demartini, that ultimately you strive to help people really live congruently, to understand their values and help them to achieve success in their life and understand and define really what success means to every individual? Yes, you said it perfectly. Some people are dedicated to spiritual quests. Some people are dedicated to intellectual pursuits. Some people are dedicated to business achievements. Some are interested in financial freedom. Some are interested in building a family, a lovely family that, that uh, serves the world. Others are interested in social political pursuits. And some are into physical fitness and health and achievements with physical stamina. Whatever area that you want to target or multiple areas you want to target, there are principles and, and methods that a person can do to enhance and empower each area. And I say that any area of your life you don't empower, other people will probably overpower. You know, there's a wisdom in empowering as many areas as possible. I've set out to master my life, if that's the term, by empowering all of them. I want to awaken my, my own genius. I want to uh, create an international global business. I wanted to have financial independence. I wanted to have a global family dynamic, a social influence, a physical stamina, and, and I want to be inspired by a mission. And, and I've achieved that, and I'm very grateful for that, and, and I love helping other people do the same, if that's what they choose. I think it's fair to say, if you look at many things in, in our lives, that you can apply the Pareto's law, the 80-20, especially with seminars and, and learning courses. It's very unfortunate that many people who, who attend these programs and, and feel very motivated when they're there and in the moment, actually 80% of people don't take action and, and don't achieve what it is that they aspire to. So I guess my question would be, what holds people back from achieving great things in life that they aspire to? Every individual lives by a set of priorities, a set of values, those things that are most important to least important in their life. And this hierarchy of values dictates how they perceive the world, make decisions in the world, and act upon the world. And whenever they're setting goals that are aligned and congruent with what they value most, the thing that's most important to them, 
they're spontaneously inspired from within to achieve it. It's an intrinsic value and they, they don't need to be motivated or incentivized or rhetorically persuaded to do something. They just do it from within. Some people call it the calling, but finding out what you value most is one of the key elements of great achievement. Because when you do, you're in the flow. You are automatically love getting up in the morning and doing that. You know, a young boy who's 12 years old and loves video games doesn't need to be reminded to do his video games. He spontaneously gets up and does his video game. Well, each of us have one of those highest values like he does. And finding out what that is and finding a way where that can be of service to humanity so it can earn an income so that income can allow them to delegate lower priority things off to others so they can do that 20% that gives you 80% results. They can go out and do the highest priority things. Uh, They will increase their achievement level and expand their space and time horizons and wake up natural born leadership, go through and awaken up their executive center where they have an inspired vision and they have strategically planned with foresight and they execute the plans and they have self-mastery and governance and they don't let the amygdala, the lower animal brain inside, run their life with impulses and instincts and immediate gratifications, which sidetracked them from their greatness. So I'm a firm believer in, in identifying what's truly valuable to them, prioritizing their day. If you don't fill your day with high priority actions that inspire you, it fills up with low priority distractions that don't. If you don't fill your day with high priority inspired challenges that inspire you, it fills up with challenges that don't. Prioritization and concentration and focus on whatever is really most important to you is one of the keys of achieving greatness and expanding your game. And so I help people find out what that is with my value determination process. I help people find out what that is and structure their life and orchestrate their life as a master planning out how they're going to do with foresight the things that they love before they get filled with things they don't. And the values determination process is is a fantastic tool. Actually, I've started even directing many of my clients towards that as well. And it's interesting, the results that come out and um, actually had a question from one of our members, Martina, who, who asked me to ask you, how can we change our values? And when I, when I said to her, why would you want to change your values? Um, her response was that in order to succeed in business, for example, when her highest value is family, can you achieve success that way? Or, or do you need to change your values? If you set a goal that is aligned and congruent with your values, you can have fulfillment. But if you, there's only way to have one fulfillment, either set goals that match your highest values or change your values to match goals you say you want. But most people fantasize about what they want instead of actually get grounded and real about what they're, what they're committed to. If I ask 10,000 or 20,000 people in an audience like I might have and say, you know, how many of you want to be financially independent? Every hand goes up, but only 1% or less actually obtain it. So 99% of the people fantasize about being financially independent, but they don't have the values that will lead them there. Their values are about spending on consumables and depreciables and living the lifestyles of the rich and famous and going beyond their means instead of actually buying assets that grow in value that work so their passive investment income can exceed their active income to achieve financial independence. So unless a person has a higher value on buying assets than liabilities and buying things that put money in their pocket instead of taking money out of their pocket, they're going to struggle financially and live in a fantasy and beat themselves up thinking something's wrong when in fact they just don't have the values that will build wealth. So if that's the case, they do have a choice to change their values so they increase the probability of having financial empowerment. So I tell people if they want to have financial empowerment, it's a little unrealistic unless they have a work ethic that they desire to serve vast numbers of people. They desire to build a business that does that. They desire to manage the business effectively and efficiently to maximize profit. They desire a save and ever progressive portion of the profits. 
a desire to invest in ever greater degrees of leverage with those profits, desire to accumulate a fortune, and desire to have a creative cause, a financial cause that leaves a legacy to drive them to push themselves to get greater incomes. Unless they have those six things in their values, they're probably not going to have enough of a value to actually save and invest and build wealth. You do have the power to change values. The way you do it is by stacking up advantages and benefits and reasons for doing a particular thing, which is an action step that you know will give you a result financially. I take those six steps I just mentioned and stack up hundreds and hundreds of benefits of doing that and do it enough where your decisions are now taking those actions. You make a decision based on whatever you think will give you the greatest advantage over disadvantage at any moment in time. If you believe there's more advantage on building a business that serves people and saving money from it and building wealth, more so than buying consumables and depreciables and living the lifestyles beyond your means, you'll then build wealth. So you can stack up the benefits of doing the actions that lead to wealth, or you can sit there and change your goals to match what your current values are and realize that you're not going to be financial tenant. You're just going to live a nice lifestyle and then struggle probably and you get into age in the 70s and 80s. One of the titles that you've written was titled How to Make One Hell of a Profit and Still Get to Heaven. Could you elaborate a little bit on that book for us, please? Yeah, I was walking down Madison Avenue in New York many years ago and that title popped in my head because I noticed that a lot of people struggle with the ability to receive money. They have this internal guilt process about receiving and thinking somehow if I have money, that's not spiritual or something. And this is basically brainwashed into us by religious kind uh, ideologies that are really delusions. I'd rather say that if you're doing a service for somebody and it's fairly exchanged, you have a tendency to want to continue doing service with people. So fair exchange is where it's at. We're not here to give away things altruistically. We're going to be in fair exchange and serve people. And so I was trying to get that across in the book that because there were so many people that had internal conflict about making money. At one time, I, I, I mean, I've consulted with thousands of people and I, I see this commonly and there's absolutely no reason for it. True mastery of spiritual quest is serving people and also being rewarded. A business is, has two purposes, one to serve vast numbers of people and two to have vast rewards. And there's no limits on either one of them and you deserve to have both. You deserve to have an altruistic and a narcissistic side to yourself and make sure there's a fair equitable exchange. That's what's sustainable and that builds economies and that uh, builds lives. So mm-hmm. the book is about how to transcend any internal conflict or any internal guilt that's stopping you from being willing and capable and deservable of having money. And it, it has helped a lot of people because they're, people don't even realize that they're doing that. In your breakthrough experience, just how quickly can people change their lives around and literally just, just flip from, from one negative mindset to, to walking out you know, after a few hours or a couple of days and, and actually just completely seeing the world with a new set of eyes? Well, I've seen different people do different things over different times. I've, without a question, I've seen people change in one weekend. I mean, my life changed in one hour. I was a, you know, a street kid, and one hour later, I had a dream to be an educator, and my life had trajectory changed. So I've seen people's lives change in a weekend. I've seen thousands of people's lives change in a weekend. But I've seen also people have internal conflicts because they learn something, and then they've got to process and work through a lot of other issues in their life. And it's unrealistic sometimes for people to expect, if they've got an assortment of issues, to clear one of them and, and not have to run up against the wall of the other ones. So it depends on, I've had people that come to the breakthrough experience and change their life in one weekend. Absolutely. I've had other people that come three or four or five times and then work through all the issues and then change their life. 
it all depends on what they're bringing to the table. And I, I don't know until I see them at the, at the program what is involved. I mean, I've had people that uh, have had all kinds of challenges that they've built up in stories in their life that has to be disassembled and reconstructed in their head for them to, to allow themselves to go forward. And some people have internal conflicts because they're subordinating to other authorities and they have what they want and what they think they should have and do is in conflict. So I have to help them transcend the authorities on the outside and give themselves permission to live by the voice and the vision on the inside. And so there's many different components and there's a whole spectrum, a whole bandwidth, you might say, of people's responses to the breakthrough experience. But I'm absolutely certain that people can change their life. I've seen it in one weekend. You've touched on a couple of points there. Not only is it the outside influences, but the inner voice. Is one better or worse than the other? Do you have to really be able to master both? Well, the inner voice is the, when you live congruently with your highest values, your voice and vision on the inside becomes louder and more profound than people's opinions on the outside. But when you're subordinating to outer authorities constantly and minimizing yourself, and you're too humble to admit what you see in the people around you within yourself, you'll play small. And then you'll have an internal conflict with all the injected values of others clouding the clarity of what you want to dedicate your life to. And then you'll lie to yourself saying, I don't know what I'm committed to. And you'll say, I don't know what my purpose and focus is. In the breakthrough experience, I show them how to dissolve that and how to transcend the authorities on the outside. So they give themselves permission to go and and shine, not shrink. Because we're not here to live in the shadows of anyone. We're here to stand on the shoulders of giants. That's our real nature. So we have that capacity. And I, I show people how to awaken it in the breakthrough experience. And uh, it's very rewarding. It's inspiring to watch lives change. I mean, you're in the business too, and you can see that when you get people's lives changed, it's one of the most fulfilling things you can do in life. Most definitely. And I loved in, in London, you talked about teleology, the study of meaning and purpose and the origin of, of that word. And it made me think of Napoleon Hill with having your burning desire and your, your chief aim in life. And just how important is it for someone to really think about their life and, and almost start with the end in mind and then reverse engineer that to make sure that you, you give yourself the best chance of achieving that. You said it perfectly. You, I couldn't articulate it better. There are some scientists, atheistic and mechanistic scientists, that believe teleology is a thing of the past. And they have, what they've done is they've, in Terence Deacon's incomplete nature text, he addresses this in the first couple chapters and how science has tried to rape and pillage out teleology. But the real truth is that there were people that do have meaning and purpose in their life, absolutely have a great more fulfillment and go accomplish more things than people that are just empty. So I'm a firm believer that that's a key component in our nature. And I'm a firm believer that it's essential to have something that you want to dedicate your life to that, that has some outcome and meaning to you. Victor Frankl demonstrated in the concentration camps when he wrote In Search of Meaning. We have the power to do something extraordinary when we have a big enough reason for doing it. And the why, the cause, the purpose, whatever you want to call it, that teleological outcome is an essential component of mastery. And so I, I have fun in debating that with, with some people that uh, want to sit there and kind of live in a purely mechanistic model. But I, I think that there's a wisdom of, of accessing what your highest value is and living congruently with it. I've seen repeatedly people do extraordinary things when they're doing that. I've seen that in people who are high achievers have that fulfilled. There's too much evidence to ignore teleology. And what part do human relationships play in this? So whether it be sexual relationship, partnerships, family, having a void uh, of any of those areas, can that hinder, you know, what are the, the effects of the relationships with others when you're following your highest purpose? Well, it's all perception. It's not what, how, we, how our life is, it's the perception of it. 
you know, there's been a debate about whether the environment controls your life or whether you control your life. And I think it's, you know, both can have an effect, but it's not really the environment as much as your perception of the environment. I've had people that have had outrageous beginnings. I mean, outrageous beginnings. And they used and turned every one of those into great opportunities and then excelled. And for maybe 20 or 30 years of their life, they ran stories of why they were a victim of their history. Then they shifted the story by a different perception and they became master of their destiny. And so it's all about the perception. I teach people how to change whatever's happened to them into their, to give them an advantage and use it to their greatness. I had a young boy that came to me and he, he was programmed by some counselor or whatever that said, well, you have, you know, dyslexia and you come from a disadvantaged family because your father died when you were born and your mother abandoned you and all this and that. And I took this kid and I said, all right, let's go look up on Google how many of the famous people were orphans. And there were 700 famous people that started out almost identical to him. I said, and you're in this category, Tycho Bride and Sir Isaac Newton. I mean, you're in that category. This is the perfect thing that you've had. And because he saw that, his life changed. He went and excelled. And he'd been running that story for years. And all of a sudden, he saw it to his advantage. I've seen this over and over again. It's all about perception. We have control over our perceptions, decisions, and actions. Change our perception, change our decision, change our action, our life changes. We have control over those. And it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. What matters is how we perceive it, decide to do something with it, and act. As you say, there's so many examples out there to inspire those who who really are just maybe making excuses. Another question for you is the topic of habits and discipline. How long in your experience does it take to establish a, a good new habit and in reverse, you know, to get rid of bad habits? And, and do you have some processes or advice for anyone listening relating to that? Well, I don't ever label things good or bad. I don't find moral injunctions like that to be useful. I find that you will automatically develop a habit and a character around what you value most. And anytime you expect yourself to live according to your highest values, you'll live up to it and you'll develop the habit and you will spontaneously do the action. But anytime you expect yourself to do something that's not high in your value, which a lot of people do because they've injected the values of others, they'll try to do something and they'll keep uh, not doing it. They'll keep procrastinating because they keep focusing on what is truly higher on their value list. And then they'll think that they've got a bad habit or they think they can't be disciplined. And then they'll label themselves. You're automatically disciplined in whatever allows you to fulfill what's highest on your value. And you may come up with a strategy that you will think is a bad habit, but it's a temporary strategy to help you get what you want until you come up with a more alternative strategy. So I don't label them good or bad. I just see them as strategies, and they're unconsciously motivated sometimes in helping people find out what the drive is and what alternative ways of getting the same outcome, and then showing them those and stacking those in favor in their highest values more effectively than the one that they're using they'll shift their behavior quickly. So you can change your behavior really quickly if you stack up enough reasons for doing it, enough benefits for doing it, and link it to what is highest on the value. But a lot of people have behaviors that they are wanting to get rid of because they're expecting themselves to live outside what they value. I see this all the time. I had a, a lady the other day that was basically, I was doing a filming for a weight loss project. She said, I've got to stop overeating. I'm just killing myself. I'm overweight. I'm just eating. I'm just eating. I'm eating. And I asked her, okay. You would never do that unless you had a motive for doing it. Anything you do is going to give you more advantage and disadvantage. So you obviously think there's more advantage and disadvantage out of eating. She said, no, it's killing me. I said, I know what, I hear you say that, but you're deep inside, obviously have a motive for eating. So what's the benefit you're getting out of eating? And she looked at me and she said, there's no benefits out of it. Look at me, I'm overweight. I said, what's the benefit you're getting? And I held her accountable to answer that question. And all of a sudden she says, everybody in my family is obese. And if I don't eat, 
and be large like them, I don't feel like I'm loved by my family. The second one, she said, my sister's bigger than me and she used to push me around. And if I'm not bigger than my sister, no matter what her size is, I could be pushed around and I swore I'm not gonna let her push me around again. The third one was, and this is the big one that brought big tears. She says, I went on a crash diet. I lost a bunch of weight and started to have a little bit of a figure because she was a big girl. And she said, and a guy hit on me. He showed affection towards me and I thought he loved me, but really he just wanted me for sex. And so I gave in and we had sex the first night we ever dated. Then he disappeared, never saw him again. I found out seven weeks later I was pregnant. And then I was confronted as a Catholic with the idea of keeping a child that I didn't want or an abortion, both of which were terrorizing me. And so I swore to myself I would never, ever lose weight again to get caught in a situation that was so painful. She had unconscious motives doing what she was doing. And even though she was saying she wanted to stop eating, unconsciously, she had more advantage by eating than disadvantage in her mind. So helping people find out what that motive is and bring an unconscious motive conscious is really important for people that say they want to change something. These are habits that have a motive, and sometimes they're not conscious motives, they're unconscious motives. So that concludes part one of my interview with Dr. John Demartini, and there were some absolutely wonderful insights in that conversation which I hope you take time to reflect. And I would suggest listening back to that one more time. And if you weren't in a position to take some notes, then scribble something down and and make sure that you lock those ideas in. And there were some exercises there, which Dr. Demartini shared, which I highly encourage you to sit down and take some time and really have a good think about what your internal values are. What are the most important things to you? Because As Dr. Demartini shared, our lives will get filled up with other people's priorities if we're not absolutely crystal clear what our priorities are. And those are the ones that will take us towards our goals and help us to achieve that rich, fulfilled life that we are all aspiring for. Normally, we would release the Escape the Rat Race podcast every two weeks, but I'm sure you are dying to hear the rest of that interview. So I'll actually be making that interview live next week. So there's just seven days until you can catch part two of my interview with Dr. Demartini. And until then, I'm wishing you a wonderfully enriched, fulfilled and exciting week ahead. Take care.